You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I want you to remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Thank you, Bethany, our warrior. Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be looking today at verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 21, 12 through 17. I've titled this message today, Used to the Dark. Used to the Dark. Let me start with an illustration real quickly. Maybe this will help a little bit. But uh, years ago at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, we had a man come that his name was Vance Havner. Vance Havner was a great preacher in the early 1900s. This was, pro- this was back about 1980. He was unbelievable, unbelievable man of God. But he was this little frail figure. He had, his, he, he had his, the suit, his pants, everything looked too big. He had his belt pulled up you know, real way out here like this and wrapped and tucked down into his pants. But this man was an unbeliever, unbelievable communicator of the gospel. The seminary, the chapel was packed to capacity. In fact, some of us were sitting on the floor and were, lit, were watching and hanging on every word. And he began to talk about how we can get used to the dark. In other words, he was telling an illustration or story. He was going to speak in this particular city, this town. And when he got there, they carried him out to eat. It was a Mexican restaurant. He sat down, he said, but he could not see. He said they had an, he had a, a, a candle there, and, but he said he couldn't see. They handed him a menu. He said for, for the longest he couldn't see. And then finally he said, my eyes begin to adjust And he said, the man across from me, a pastor that invited me to preach, looked at me and said, isn't it amazing, Vance, how our eyes, how we get used to the dark. And Vance Abner went on, he's written several books, and he wrote on that idea of getting used to the dark. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, we come to a a a moment in the life of Christ, everybody look this way, that we are not comfortable with. And so I want you to think about it as we read this. In Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. 
and he left them, he went out of the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me begin with some questions. I want you to think about these. Number one, have you gotten used to the dark in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your job, in your community? Now, that, by that I mean, by that you just accept what a few years ago would have troubled you. Am I making sense here? You've just kind of gotten used to the dark. It is what it is, right? We hear that all the time. It is what it is, meaning there, there's no way that you and I can change it, and we just have to accept it, and it is what it is. Number two, do you just excuse, accept things as they are? You're not shocked anymore by much of anything. You've become apathetic and indifferent. I remember when we were moving missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, into Mozambique. Mozambique had been in war for years and years. The Russians had put a lot of firepower, a lot of arms. Everybody had weapons. It was a dangerous place to go. Me and a man by the name of Tim Carley. Tim died a while back of a massive heart attack after retiring. But Tim and I were on our way there. We were moving a family in. And I remember at one point coming to the dead body of a child. This child was curled up laying there dead. And people were just passing by, going this way and that way. Nobody was even paying attention. And I thought to myself in that moment, how could you ever become accustomed to death that easily? Nobody even noticed. I did. And I'll never forget it. Still see it in my mind even to this day. How, how often do you and I accept things? It's just the way it is. We get used to the dark uh, uh, crime in this city. You know, we just accept the fact that when you pull up to a light, you dare not simply just move out on a green light. You have to make sure that somebody is not running a red light and about to plow into the side of your vehicle and take your family out. We're living in those kind of days. We just take for granted that drug deals are, are done on every street corner in this city. We just take for granted that our family members, many of you, your family members have been murdered in criminal acts. But it is the way it is just the way it is. And before long, if, it's not, if we're not careful, we kind of get used to it, don't we? Just the way life is, we just accept it. Let me remind you of something. Communities solve problems, not politics, not governments, not law enforcement. It's when communities come together and they say enough is enough. We won't stand for this any longer. In fact, I said this this morning in our men's class. Women are far better than we are at this. Women can band together in any community and they can stop it like that. They can draw the attention of the entire media immediately to a situation, a community. Number three, does anything make you angry anymore? You get angry anymore? You get mad? You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Paul said these words. He said, be angry and sin not. He uses the imperative there. It's a command. In other words, I wrote this down. A man made this statement. You can tell a lot about a person by what makes them angry. Right? 
You can tell a lot about a man or a woman's character by what makes them angry, what gets, uh, gets them riled up, uh, brings about a reaction. James chapter 1, verse 19, James said we're to be slow to, slow to become angry. But the Bible never speaks about anger as being a bad thing. Paul went on to say to the Ephesians, he said, Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Meaning that if you suppress and sleep on anger, it'll turn into bitterness. And the word bitter in the Greek is nekros. I meant not nekros, it's pikros. And it means sticky anger. It sticks to you. But we're told to be angry. Some things should make you and I angry. You know, my kids always warn me, people run a, run a light, and I'm sitting at a light, and somebody runs a light. You know what I do? I lay down on the horn. My kids say, Dad, somebody, someday somebody's going somebody's gonna to shoot you. And I understand that because we got a lot of cowards today that run around with assault rifles, and they just spray wherever they want. They'll spray an apartment complex. They'll spray a vehicle. They'll just, they're just a bunch of cowards. Five-year-old killed in a, in, a, in, a, in a run by, drive by, just spray an apartment complex. Ten-year-old killed over here, just spray an apartment complex. They're cowards. But it is what it is. We just accept it. It's a way of life. Eric Metaxas wrote a book. It's called Letter to the American Church. Sean, you gave me that book. There's a chapter in that book called The Spiral of Silence. And I want to say today, I am tickled pink. I've got my cousin and his wife here. This is Robert and Leslie. Leslie, when I read this, I thought, Leslie's father and escaping the Nazi Jew, I mean the Nazis there in Germany, her grandfather, a Jew, fled to Africa, if I remember, to Zambia, northern Rhodesia at that time to Zambia and her grandfather is buried in Africa and she said I've always wanted to go see where my grandfather is buried but listen Eric McTaxis wrote a book letter to the American church and he titled a chapter called the spiral of silence now I took two years of German took German literature and I've always wondered why the I uh, my professor Herr Bueller my professor was a German and escaped during World War II in the, under, in the underground. But I always thought to myself, how could you convince people to kill over six million Jews and sell their flesh to make lampshades and wallets for Nazi officers? How do you reach that level of cruelty? Eric Metaxas dealt with that. He called it the spiral, this chapter, the spiral of silence. Listen to what he said. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. So when criminal acts go on around you, and you say it is what it is, and you do nothing, you in turn are evil. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is, not to speak, is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. Now he went on to quote German sociologist Elizabeth Noel Newman in explaining, listen to this, what happened to the German people during the time of Hitler. And she said even to herself. He writes, or she writes, she was born in Berlin in 1916. She lived through the Nazi regime. She, was, she herself was generally pro-Hitler. 
and had even met Hitler while a university student. But when the war was over and everyone saw the inexpressible horrors of the Holocaust, and remember, Michael King Sr. took his son, Michael King Jr., to, the, to Germany to see the effects of Nazism, of Hitler, and to see the effects of what the German people had allowed in the Holocaust. Michael King Sr. named his son, Michael King Jr., Martin Luther King Jr., and King quotes this statement, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. He went on to make this statement. She did. She said she began to think differently. She wondered most specifically why so few of those who had privately opposed Hitler, especially among the clergy of Germany, said nothing until the war was over and the danger of speaking out had passed. From this, she came up with this concept called the spiral of silence. Now listen to this. It refers to the idea that when people fail to speak, the price of speaking rises. As the price to speak rises, still fewer speak out. Which further, which further causes the price to rise so that fewer people yet will speak out until, uh, listen to this, until a whole culture or nation is silenced, and this is what happened to Germany. Wow. You've heard me tell this story one day coming in after lunch, coming in and all of a sudden watching. I could see these young men running, three young men. They were running down the sidewalk, probably late teens, maybe 20. They're running down the sidewalk, and I knew something about it wasn't good. I looked, and one of them came up to a homeless man right here and came up and kicked him and knocked him down, and they began to beat him for a throwaway phone. One o'clock in the afternoon... And cars up and down Raymond Road were passing as if nothing was taking place. That's the spiral of silence. And God will never bless a community or a city that is silent when evil takes place. So, this is probably the problem in the church. In some ways, the problem in the church is that we become anemic, passive, impotent. We get uncomfortable. We, we have a Jesus, but he's kind of an effeminate type individual. We're not comfortable with these kind of passages. In fact, let me take you, even before we get into this, look at Mark chapter 3. I've always thought this was fascinating. And if you don't have your Bible, just use that one there in front of you. And listen, the people that donated those Bibles said, if you need one, you take it. You take it with you. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, watch this scene, this particular moment in the life of Christ. The Gospel of Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched, they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? 
but they remained silent. Now watch the response of Jesus. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. Wow. Let me ask you something. What was Jesus angry about? What was he angry at? The Bible said that he was angry and he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. I wrote this down. One individual said that what that meant was they were not compassionate. They were not concerned. They didn't care about this man. It was just a matter of a theological discussion. See, their hearts were hard. How quickly that can happen. How Satan can desensitize us. I remember one day I was sitting in my office and my phone rang and this whisper voice said, Dad. I said, what? Dad, you know that paper you wrote for me? They're getting ready to give me an award for it. What do I do? She was in college. Well, I already gave it away. It's got to be one of the two, Amy or Emily. She's in college. And she's sitting there saying, Dad, what do I do? That paper you wrote, a, they're getting ready to give me an award for it, Dad. What do I do? I said, accept the word on my behalf. <laughs> do you know, what the, you know what the paper was about? It was about what we're talking about now. If you remember years ago, a woman was brutally raped and murdered in a parking lot of an apartment complex. And they did, a, they did story after story and wrote article after article because the people in that apartment complex, mass numbers of people, stood in their windows and watched this woman brutally raped and then murdered and did nothing. They didn't even call 911. And the question was, how can we become so desensitized? Jordan Peterson, in an interview with Abigail Shire, a journalist for the Wall Street Journal, graduate of Columbia University, University of Oxford, Yale Law School, on her book, Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters, she made this statement. She said, this book had to be written. Wow. You know, I preached last week, is there a hill you're willing to die on? Something you believe in, a cause, or something that so grips your heart, you're so passionate about, you, you, you have to write a book, you have to write a blog, you have to speak out, you have to do something. Jesus was living and wrong. He was living in an environment, a culture of wrong. Look, look again, turn back to Matthew 21, beginning at verse 12. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Everybody looked this way. We used to have a grand piano sat here. In fact, it's left its mark on the carpet. If you want to know how much some of these tables weighed, go around out the hallway and you'll see over there in that four-year area on that side is a grand piano. Some of these tables weighed as much as that grand piano. Jesus goes into the temple. And the Bible said he's not there before long before he witnesses once again this re corrupt religious system that had gripped Jerusalem, gripped the temple. It was a racket. It was a money-making racket. 
I remember years ago, and I've told you the story, got, got on my motorcycle one day. I was in another church field and big old country church, and I was riding around. There was a bar everybody griped about and complained about. I pulled up at that bar on my motorcycle, got off my motorcycle, went in, walked up to the bar, sat down. A pool, the pool tables were busy. People were at the bar, and I ordered a Coke. And if you, if you ever order a Coke in a bar, you'll stop attention. I mean, immediately, boy, you could hurt a pin drop. And I began to talk to the bartender, the person about Christ, began to talk about I was the pastor of the church, and man, it got quiet. The, the pool tables weren't even busy. Everybody stopped. Finally, a man with a cue stick looked at me, and he said, Hey, preacher, let me ask you a question. What do you think about all these TV preachers? You know what I did? I turned around and said, I think they're a bunch of corrupt, money-hungry, many of them charlatans. That's what I think. Man, immediately I had the attention of the whole bar and was able to share Christ. This was a corrupt system. It was, uh, they were in bed with the Jewish civil authority, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. In fact, if I gave you a chronological order of the last week of Jesus Christ, on Monday he enters into Jerusalem. Palm, Palm Sunday, and that Monday, he enters into Jerusalem, and then as he gets to Jerusalem, Monday, he ends up Monday evening at the temple. In other words, he comes Monday evening to the temple, he leaves it, he doesn't address it, and he goes home. In fact, he stays in Bethany with Lazarus, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and he returns Tuesday morning to that temple, and that's what we have in Matthew 21. It's the Passover. It's a time when the Jews flooded the city of Jerusalem. Every inn was sold out, every home filled. Jerusalem, they would actually stretch the boundaries to include Bethany. It was busy. In fact, take a left, um, no, take a right from Matthew 21 and look at John, John, chapter, John chapter 2, verse 13. I want you to see this. Give you a little bit of an idea. John chapter 2, verse 13. Watch this. John chapter 2, verse 13. It said, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. And he drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, the zeal for your house will consume me. Wow. In other words, this had happened twice in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus began his ministry cleansing the temple. He ends his ministry cleansing the temple. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, judgment must begin at the house of God. Listen to what John MacArthur wrote about the temple so that you understand what Jesus saw. Through the main opening, Jesus enters into the court of the Gentiles because anybody could come into the court of the Gentiles, even Gentiles. And once into the court of the Gentiles, you would notice a gate called the Gate Beautiful. We see it in Acts 3 where a man is begging at that gate. Inside the Gate Beautiful was the court of women. 
In other words, you had the court of the Gentiles, then you went through the gate beautiful, and then you went into the court of the women, and that area was for Jewish women. In fact, there was a sign by the gate beautiful that said that if you were a Gentile and you went through that gate, it was a death sentence. Jewish men could go in there, but no Gentiles could. In fact, there, again, there was a sign that said you would lose your life. Now, we'll stop there because we could move on. There's the court of the priests. Jesus walks into the court of the Gentiles, and it was known, listen to this, as the bazaar of Annas. You remember Annas and Caiaphas, those two that plotted the, crucif the death, the fake trial, the beating and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This was known, the court of the Gentiles, as the bazaar of Annas, who was the high priest. One writer said he was wicked. He was a wicked, money-hungry charlatan who sold concession stands in the court of the Gentiles, much like we'd set up a flea market. It was here that people would go in like a buy sheep and doves. And doves was a poor man's offering if he couldn't afford a sheep or a lamb. Lambs and pigeons, merchandise. You could exchange money, foreign currency for half a shekel, which was required. So people would come in, many of them poor, impoverished. They would come in. A poor man came with doves because he couldn't afford lambs. And if you want to know Jesus and uh, his family... Joseph and Mary, you remember eight days when he was circumcised? When they brought him into the temple, they didn't bring a lamb, they brought doves. That means they were poor. They would come in with their lamb or their doves or whatever, and they would have to, it would have to be approved. And this money-making racket would disapprove almost 100% anybody who brought anything in. And they would say, you've got to go to so-and-so and you've got to buy there. Well, they were getting a kickback on the lambs and the doves and all those things. And so they would have to go and they would turn their doves over to a man, take another set of doves or turn their lamb over, take another lamb, and then they'd take that lamb or those doves that, quote, had been disapproved and they'd sell it to the next sucker that came through. Does anything make you mad anymore? One writer said this, he said, Jesus walked in. His eyes, his ears, his nostrils are filled with the sights and the sounds and the smells of a stockyard, not a temple. And the haggling over prices. And Jesus said, this is my father's house, and he throws them out. You know, um, I had a stint in the Widowmaker, and when that happened, I sat my kids down and I said, this, there are certain people do not allow in this home. I said, because they'll take advantage of your mom, don't allow it. You know, there's some things that um, I could be dead and gone. There's some things that my two sons and my two daughters would never allow to take place in my home, even if I was not there. And this is Jesus. He's living in wrong. Did he understand it? When he was eight days old, his parents came with two doves. Did he understand it? He watched every year as his old tired, weather-beaten Joseph and Mary, that earthly father that God had entrusted his son to, he watched them stand and go through this fiasco, this mockery, this in the court of Gentiles, and it made him angry. Be angry and sin not. Is it possible? 
I wrote a principle down here. The great danger is that we live in wrong and we've gotten so used to it that we don't take a stand anymore. It's just the way it is. It is what it is. And Jesus could have said, it is what it is, disciples. Just the way of life. Been this way the whole time I've been coming here. It was this way when my parents came here. You can't do nothing about it. It is what it is. But I wrote down to the second point, learn to be strong. You know, Jesus didn't have to learn to be strong. You know what I think he did that night? Because on a Monday evening, he, he ends that procession. That, that he ends there at the temple. And at the temple, he doesn't do anything. He goes home to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home, and he sleeps. And let me tell you what I think he thought to himself. One thing I've got to take care of before I leave. It won't wait. I wrote this down. There's a principle here. Your spineless life or your cowardly existence may be costing people who have no voice. You know, George Floyd did not have a voice when a knee was on his neck. But I reminded many who wanted to talk about that, that 70 million unborn didn't have a voice either. They were killed by Roe v. Wade. And I also reminded that the homeless man that was being beat up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon while people sped by, he didn't have a voice either. The spiral of silence. And my question is, is this, this is the second time that Jesus is doing this. And it's interesting here that the disciples in John 3, 17, when he does it that time, they're quoting Scripture, the zeal of thine house has eaten him up. Now, let me get to the last point. I wrote down loving the song. <laughs> loving the song. You know, when you look at John 3, in fact, from, go from uh, right from Matthew 21. Look at John 3. Stay with me just a moment longer and I'll let you go. In John chapter 3, verse 12. Thank you, Kanye. John chapter 3, verse 12. Look at this. Um, maybe I'm not right here. No, I'm not in the right place. So I'll have to just look at it later. That's not the right passage. But anyway, the reality, and no, it's Mark. I think, is it Mark? Uh, meanwhile, while the pastor is trying to find where he possibly messed up here, um, okay, um, let me see. Boy, it's always hard when y'all are looking at me and I'm trying to figure out where I'm at. Forget it. I'll find it later. Robert, I'll tell you and Leslie at lunch. Because it'll come back to me. You ever been in a, in a discussion and all of a sudden you think about all the things you wish you'd have said after you leave? That's me usually. But anyway, in, 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 in one of the cleansings whether it is in Matthew 21, Mark 3, or in one of the, or uh, John chapter 2. In one of the cleansings, when Jesus cleanses the temple, you know what happens? Immediately broken and hurting people start coming to him. And he starts healing them. And at the same time, children start singing and celebrating, and they're shouting hallelujah. And boy, I love that. And I wrote this principle down. Until you and I stand up, people will suffer. Corruption continues, wherever it may be. Jesus, Jesus addressed the corruption 
And he dealt with the conflict, but there's a principle here. Some of us want to be liked regardless of the cost to the innocent, the broken, the hurting, and we're too afraid to stand up. And that's, Sean, what that book is about. By the time the German people woke up, it was too late. I close with this. One writer said, hate is not the opposite of love, apathy is. Listen to what he went on to say. Well, this is an individual, a man by the name of Will Eisenhower in Youth Worker Journal. Watch what he wrote here. Listen to what he wrote. It had been an exhausting day. The guys in my cabin were asleep. I was dead to the world. Now, he's a youth leader, undoubtedly. Then there came a dim awareness. Ants, ants were crawling all over my body. I was so tired, and sleep felt so good, that I actually resisted rousing myself. I knew that if I roused even a little bit, I would have to acknowledge that my sleeping bag had become an ant freeway. I didn't want to know the awful truth. So for at least several seconds, I tried to fight it. At some deep level, I told myself that sleep was the reality, and the ants were a dream. Apathy is sort of like that, sleeping through an ant attack. Waking up means I have to recognize that although foxes have safe places tied, the Son of Man doesn't, and his followers do not either. This world is fundamentally, he wrote this, fundamentally opposed to me, he said personally, and it wants to attack me when I am least prepared for it. No wonder some of us would rather stay asleep. John, do we have that clip? Play that clip. I want you to, I want you to listen. This is a movie. It's not done well. In the, but before he plays it, the man with the white shirt on in this movie is an atheist, and the man who's demonic, the man who is dressed in, in uh, orange, is supposedly possessed by demons. I want you to listen to what he says. Listen closely to what this demon is saying. Did you hear that? Through your movies, through your music, through all these things, we've desensitized you. You may say, well, you know, that's, uh, that's just a movie clip. Well, let me... Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters in which the demons were teaching each other, an older demon teaching the younger. And many of it centered on that very thought right there. If Satan can get you and I to be apathetic and different, we just yawn through a sermon. We're just thinking about everything but what we... Listen, there are plenty of causes right now for you and I to be involved in. There are plenty of things for you and I to stand up. And let me remind you of something that a man said a long time ago. If you and I don't stand up for something, we'll fall for anything. Let me remind you, parent... If you don't stand up for something, your children will fall for anything. And they are. Jesus didn't walk into the temple and say, it is what it is. It's a way of life. You just have to accept it. The Bible said that he braided a whip. Boy, can you imagine that? You imagine the scene, braiding a whip and driving the animals, the livestock, people out, turning tables over in this moment of we it's not a fit of rage, it's righteous indignation and there's a difference let's stand 
Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we love You, and we praise You. We give You glory. Lord, may the Christian realize that we are never called to a spiral of silence. We are Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood against Nazism, who actually even was a part, this German theologian, even sought to end the life of Adolf Hitler. But that, that failed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was deeply affected by the African-American when he spent time in the United States. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was told that if he came back to Germany, would die. He went back to Germany preaching and standing against the apathy and the indifference of the German church. Speaking on behalf of the Jewish people. And ultimately, he would do what sometimes men and women have been called to do. He would give his life. German forces would kill Dietrich Bonhoeffer one week before Allied troops could get to him and set him free. May we never forget that the great enemy that we face in our lives, in our marriage, in our homes, in our communities, in our country, in our world, is when the believer, the Christian, the man or woman of God, becomes apathetic and different. They don't fight anymore. They don't have any courage anymore. They don't confront anymore. And when I say fight, I'm not talking about physical hand-to-hand. -hand. I'm talking about standing on street corners, preaching the gospel. I'm talking about people in communities banding together and beginning to allow their voice to be heard. I'm talking about the church being the church. It's not about coffee, and it's not about comfort, and it's not about campuses where people are picked up at their cars with golf carts and shuttled into the church. It's a far cry when you go into the places of Zimbabwe, Africa, where people are making simple buildings and gathering many of them under the threat of government. People in China, the underground church in China, Iran, one of the fastest growing gospel movements in Iran where men and women and young people are risking their lives for the cause of Christ. It's in Russia, it's in the Ukraine, it's around the world. It's an NFL number one star, Bryce Young. Number one draft pick in the NFL who gave nothing but Jesus Christ, the glory and the honor. And his father wept and said, this is the proof of God blessing obedience. He didn't talk about his son. He didn't talk about NFL. He talked about the kingdom of God. Lord, may we rise up. May you begin to stir in our hearts a, a passion, a zeal for holiness in our own life. May you raise up within us a, a, a willingness to stand up for those who may not be able to stand for themselves, wherever they may be. And God, may you make us the salt, the light, the yeast, the voice of truth. And may you do it even when it may cost us everything. Now, Lord, we pray if there's one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, They've never given their heart and their life to you. We pray today that, Lord, they would surrender, give up, 
give in. Do what Marshall did today. And say, I want Christ Jesus in my heart. I repent of my sin. I want Him to, and ask Him to come in to cleanse me, to forgive me. I want to follow by making it public, being baptized. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come.